Language Talk is a series of podcasts of interest to Kentucky World Language Association members seeking information about important events, initiatives, and professional development opportunities. Each month, we will be talking with people in the know about world languages from across the state. Topics range from collaboration to the program review, from ACTFL news to interviews with master teachers. Language Talk is produced monthly by the Kentucky World Language Association Board and the College of Arts and Sciences at the University of Kentucky. Welcome to Language Talk KWA. This is your host, Laura Roche Youngworth, with co-host Dr. Jean-Marie Rouillet-Willoughby. Welcome, Jean-Marie. Thanks, Laura. Our topic today is authentic and cultural resources. A commonality within modern learning theories is that input is critical to a learner's language growth. Now, what input looks like that can vary greatly. For those embracing proficiency-based teaching, input should strive to include authentic resources as much as possible. A site I ran across, and sorry if I slaughter this name, miscositas.com had an interesting section regarding authentic resources and a categorization of input that I really found intriguing. Authentic resources were likened as realia, which a lot of us have heard that term before. Thus, objects or materials from real life or from the real world meant to be consumed by native speakers of the target language and or culture. Now, the contrary definition that this site gave, I just loved to death and I'd never seen before, and they called it fake alia. Just as it sounds, resources made for instructional purposes and that are trying to pass for realia. Now, the fake alia kind of sounds a little harsh, and I don't mean it to be, but it's really a perfect term for what isn't realia. And there is a place for fake alia in the classroom, but non-authentic resources have the potential, if overused, to take the soul out of language learning. And it really doesn't help set that real-world purpose and real-world learning with languages. So they're often something we try to avoid as much as possible. With us today are two guests from the University of Kentucky who have a focused interest in authentic resources, so the realia. Jean-Marie, can you do the honors of introducing our guest? Sure. I have two colleagues here today, one from the Department of Hispanic Studies, Ruth Brown, Ruth uh, teaches all levels of Spanish. She also has been um, the representative to foreign language international economics Spanish for many years. She's getting a break this year. <laughs> um, and she's particularly interested in uh, outreach to the Hispanic community and tying together the university with the community so that students can get benefits from that. Wow. It's Hello, Ruth. How are you? Hello. <laughs> and who's our second guest? Our second guest is Harald Hubusch, who is my colleague in Modern and Classical Languages, Literatures, and Cultures. He teaches German, also all levels, from beginning up until graduate level. And for many years was our teaching assistant coordinator for the German um, group. And his own particular research interest is mountains. <laughs> And he's taught courses what? on mountains in the German Im imagination and how it defines identity. So cultural um, information is also near and dear to his heart. Wonderful. Well, hello, Harold. How are you? Hello, everybody. <laughs> That's intriguing. I didn't expect that one. <laughs> okay. What made both of you be interested in authentic resources and culture? Um, I think 
personal experience, of course, in learning the language, uh, being a non-native speaker of Spanish, and also just working with students and getting to know them and looking at what their goals are with the language. Um, you know, we have mostly minors in Spanish at UK, and the reason is that our students are focusing on other professional areas, but they want Spanish to be a tool right. that they can use in that field. And so when I look at their motivations and I look at why they're studying the language, it's for practical purposes. And there's no better way to get them proficient in functioning in a practical context than to use material from the real world, like as you said, that's directed towards native speakers, not in the classroom. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay, so we're going to get started. Ruth, if you don't okay. mind, I'm going to kind of let you speak first. And what are some of those high-yield authentic resources you like to use, and then how do you actually use them within your instructional practices? Um, we're really lucky in Spanish, I think. You know, there are a lot of great blogs out there, um, some done by KWA members and he'll bring resources together for us. You know, of course, Zachary Jones is one of the, the best known, I think, for finding videos and songs and, and putting them thematically for us to kind of sort through and search. Um, and, and I can't lie, YouTube is a huge resource for me in class because I think that it really helps students get input on hearing the language. But I think what's most important is how you present the activity um, and not just picking a song because you think your students will like the song, but picking a song because it has a very specific purpose that relates to the class and that you can build the vocabulary through the class, that the video could be you know, um, a capstone for the class to where they can bring all of those pieces together. And so even though it takes me more time, I'm, I'm really dedicated to having specific activities that go with each video that I might use or a listening activity so that they're pre-reading, -re pre pre-listening, looking for vocabulary, you know, checking comprehension, but then also expanding it into a personal context. Um, I also really like infographics, of which there are quite a few in Spanish, mm -hmm. and they're great for reading activities and vocabulary, because by definition, an infographic is trying to illustrate, use images, use low literacy techniques for communicating ideas. They're full of numbers, statistics, they're things that they can pull out meaning from even if they don't understand the bigger idea. And so things like maps and infographics that have been created for Spanish speakers um, are a really good way for students to approach the language on their level. And I think that's another thing, is just really being conscientious of how what you pick <laughs> relates right. to that level and if it's just if it's doable for the students. Um, so you, yes, that's that's kind of, yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. You bring up an interesting point. That is, many people, especially in beginning levels, are mm -hmm. scared because they say, well, they won't understand anything. Mm -hmm. So how, if you have a song right. that has lots of words, many of which... I don't beginner. actually use a lot of songs, I'm going to be honest. They're okay. really hard. Well, then the, the, point, the point being exactly a that. A news broadcast, say, right. with a weather forecast, right. for example. That's a great question. That has lots of words that they're not going to mm -hmm. know, like precipitation. Right. They may know rain, they don't know precipitation. How do you uh, scaffold it so right. that it's functional not just for students that are at an advanced level, but for novice learners? Um, well, when it's a lower level class, I'm really picky. Um, I really pay attention to the rate of speech. If it's a video or a listening activity, mm -hmm. the rate of speech, the level of vocabulary, the speed gets them more than anything, I think. Um, and a lot of times, if you're using something that's meant for native speakers, you're not going to have subtitles even in Spanish. <laughs> so that doesn't help. But you know, I'm really conscientious of what I pick. But then I also make sure that I've listened to it a few times. And I can pick out the words that they're going to be able to find more easily 
you know, keywords that I think they're probably going to grasp before others. And so I make sure we prep at least those words so that when they do listen and they do watch, they can say, oh, I know that. I know that. And they don't catch it all, but they're getting the importance of keywords and putting ideas together. And so I'm really conscientious about all the way through the class from the warm up to the pre activities to finally getting to that realia activity that I've been building that vocabulary for them. Um, that seems to help a little. So what might you, you gave some great examples of what to do with the input. Mm -hmm. So do you ever do anything where the students actually use what they learned, and used it in their output? Sure. Well, um, we only, you know, we only meet three days a week. And so okay. long-term projects are challenging, I think, at least in my classes, with so much material to get in. But at the end of the semester, we always have a group project that they do. And they start working on it right about now. And we start working, you know, step one, step two, by the time we get to the last week of classes. And so what I get them to do is they do some research. They look at cultural information. This is 203, so it's not, it's intermediate. Um, cultural relation questions related to ideas that we've studied, then they have to put together a product. And so it can be any sort of multimodal communication, which means they have to use at least two of spoken, written, and reading, well, sorry, spoken, visual, and written <laughs> expression output. And so that could be a Twitter feed with okay. narration. They love doing that. Or Instagram, even better, because nobody really loves what Twitter do you mean? anymore. Whoa, 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 whoa. Right. What do you mean Twitter feed with so they would create, if it's a, you know, say they decide to come up with a tourism site to mm -hmm. ex talk about this site that we've studied, then they would create um, a tourism agency, and then they could put pictures on their Twitter feed, and it can be fake or real. Then most of them do a real one, and then maybe delete it later. But it works on Facebook, too. You can put pictures up, and then you narrate them going down. Oh, great right? idea. Um, it works really well with Instagram. I've had some really cool, like they'll make an account for maybe a famous person, and then find pictures on, online of that person's <laughs> life, and then the comments, and even the hashtags, <laughs> which are sometimes quite hilarious, kind of show me that they're thinking critically about it, showing me the written piece. I love that. But they, it's how they choose the pictures that sort of start helps to tell the story. But it could be a video, it could be um, you know, a website, something more traditional like that. But I've really found okay. that they love the social media. That's a wonderful big project, you mm -hmm. know, in project. Is there anything you might do during that particular class, though, when you've mm -hmm. exposed them to? Um, Yes. I mean, I certainly try to do expansion where they are responding to it with an opinion of some kind. Okay. And then sometimes we will take another step and have them either do an exit ticket, like a written exit ticket, which is a little mm -hmm. more specific, or like the last few questions will be an exit ticket so I can kind of catch on to who was actually into that material and who's needing work with it. Um, and then sometimes if it's, say, daily routine, then before they leave they have to do a to-do list or um, that's great. Yeah, so either having them share back as a class, maybe mini presentations, just stand up and tell me what you found, or some kind of written exit ticket. Okay. Yeah. Uh, though that's really helpful. I mean, when you hear what other people are doing, it just it's so easy to imagine that in your own class. Uh, have you noticed any change in the students? Have they been more engaged, or what's been their reaction when you use authentic resources? You know, they're hit or miss. Every student, you know has their own priorities and things they're worried about and some days they're there and some days they're not. But I think that overall the impression I get is that they appreciate when I add those elements to class. I keep them short. You know, the videos that we use are very short or we only watch a piece of it. Okay. Two minutes max, I would say. Okay. Listening activities. Maybe we'll listen to them twice. 
but I try not to take too much time on it. Um, I try to have it have a very specific focus, a specific reason, and then I always have them do something after to, to force them to engage and not just completely check out with the video. That's why the exit tickets are great, or having a worksheet where the students complete it together and turn it in. So there, there's a stake to it, even if it's a low stake and it's just part of participation, showing, kind of forcing a little bit of engagement. Right. Yeah. Um, do and, you ever assign it outside of class? Um, well, the project for sure, we do well, part yes. in class and part out. Um, this semester, no, but that's something I'm going to do next semester in this 203 level um, is do these sort of mini projects, kind of building up to this project, but doing them each chapter. That'll so the great. students will have to kind of prep this idea of multimodal expression related to culture and realia. You know, on a chapter basis and then make a larger I love stake that. at that as a group That's at really the end. Good. So yes, not yet, but we will. Okay, and one last question for you. Um, I know for me, and it's always a challenge, and you mentioned it with the novice level kids. You mm -hmm. just, it's so hard to find something mm -hmm. that's not totally over their head or the rate mm -hmm. of speech is too quick. Um, I almost always have to end up with children's stuff. Well, yeah, I do do some, um, we do do some kids stuff. Every once in a while it's fun. You can't do it all the mm -hmm. time because right. then they feel like you're treating them like high schoolers, and I get that. Um, I have had good luck searching videos and putting the word infographic into it. Um, yeah. It's interesting because there are more and more, you're kind of looking, you're looking for what would be low literacy level right. expressions in the target language. Right? And so if you find something that's targeted to a low literacy group, it's going to have a lot of images, statistics, graphs, things to ex illustrate what it's trying to explain. They slow, the, they slow it down a little bit, you know? Um, that's awesome. Yeah, so that's kind of what you're looking for, is something that a native speaker, a, you know, a college-educated native speaker would think this is silly, but a non-college-educated ed native speaker would be good with it, right? right? So it's still realia, but it's not, you know, it's more appropriate to the level of our students. Yeah, right. That's no, a that's a great idea. Yeah, well, it's a great answer, too. Good job on that one. <laughs> um, so, Harold, kind of the same questions. So what have you been doing? What, what have you been doing that kind of integrates authentic resources with your students? Well, one of my staple courses I teach is um, German 507, uh, and that's a course that focuses on uh, contemporary issues in Germany and uh, the goal here is to really uh, bring students in touch with what is really going on um, in journey, Germany during the course of the semester we're teaching the course. Uh, the idea here is to uh, go beyond the materials that you uh, refer to as being specifically created for the classroom and really bringing students into touch with what your average right. uh, German uh, Jill and Joe are reading every, uh, on a given day. And that, of course, may be challenging, um, but at the same time, it uh, comes down to the instructor picking the right material uh, for that specific pedagogical purpose and, and making sure that it's not over the students' heads. Um, so the idea here is to work with three types of materials, um, German uh, newspapers and news magazines as far as uh, reading resources are concerned, uh, video resources that are sourced from um, 
um, media uh, collection uh, resource sites such as the Mediathek uh, of the German two major broadcasting stations, ARD and ZDF, but also regional stations such as Bayerischer Rundfunk, BRonline.de. And then finally, audio resources. Um, from my perspective, uh, the most challenging resources for our students. Um, and they can be accessed via, for example, um, um, the dradio.de. Uh, website in Berlin, and that has the great advantage that it is searchable by key terms. So I can essentially put in a, a time window, let's say the last three months, I give in, I put in a key term, and the site will then pull up all broadcasts that relate to a particular topic. Oh, and at that funny. point, I go in, I select the one that I really like, that I think is manageable for the students to engage with, and go from there. Do any of those sites ever give transcripts? Do you know? Yes, they do. Awesome. Um, DRadio.de uh, differentiates between um, podcasts that do have uh, a text associated with it. Sometimes it's the original text of an interview or, or a broadcast. Sometimes it's the synopsis thereof. Um, and sometimes there are podcasts that do not have uh, a written text associated with it. And those I usually use um, at the very end of a particular constructional uh, instructional unit simply because uh, that type of quote-unquote text poses the most uh, or the heaviest linguistic challenge to the students. Well, you gave us three examples of resources you kind of use. So there's the newspapers and magazines, video resources, and audio, right? Can you maybe share with each one? So what do you do? What do you do with newspaper and magazines? What do you do with audio and video and so on? For example, um, the course that I teach, German 507, really explores a number of different subject matters. For example, lifestyle, we start with that because it's easily approachable for the students. But then we move into art, we move into literature, we move into politics, even economics, both on a national and international basis. And the way I usually set it up is that I move from the written text to the video text to the audio text because okay. of the increasing uh, level of difficulty. Um, so for reading text, um, I think um, I do what a lot of my colleagues do, which is provide students with uh, reading questions with uh, discussion questions that uh, ought to be prepared for then follow-up discussion in class, but also um, I prepare those texts uh, with the help of uh, short writing assignments, five to seven to ten sentences uh, that ask students to respond what is being discussed in a particular reading text, um, then engage in a uh, practice activity where they share in a group of three or four their own take on that particular problem, but also mm -hmm. be prepared to present their opinion to class and also defend it uh, right. if necessary. Um, so follow-up questions play, for example, an important role uh, in that kind of approach. And for teachers listening who might teach AP, that's something huge. So I like how you're kind of doing different things with that same material. And, and even your flow where you said you would start with the reading and, and video, then listening, that's just, just perfect setup for an AP teacher. Uh, what might you be doing with video resources? Video resources um, obviously have the advantage that, uh, first of all, uh, the text is supported by, by the image. Um, and here, uh, again, similar to the text that I, uh, to the written text I work with, uh, viewing questions uh, play an important role. 
but uh, one could, for example, then in class start with simple tasks um, as retelling the content of uh, the material that has been viewed. Uh, one could um, zero in on certain passages uh, in the video that uh, present um, not just a linguistic challenge, because sometimes people, as you mentioned in your introduction, um, have a real problem with the speed of delivery of a native speaker. Yeah? So sometimes it really is important to tease out exactly what's being said when, but also um, sometimes it's important to um, tap into the cultural potential of a video, yeah? right. either in what's being discussed or what's even presented in the image. Um, and so all of a sudden you have a very quick crossover from linguistic uh, instruction to cultural instruction. And I think that's ultimately what we try to do. We try to um, respect the sort of um, immediate connection that always exists between uh, language and culture. Okay. So and one of the oh, things sorry. that you have done <clears throat> in German is build uh, pieces of culture in every year, starting, you know, at the very beginning, of course, with authentic materials. And so the class you're talking about is at the at the end when the students are about to graduate. Mm -hmm. But in your 300 level class, you've also done a very interesting semester long project, kind of like the one Ruth was talking about, that has to do with also daily life in Germany, but a different aspect of it. Absolutely. It takes into account uh, the fact that students uh, at a 300 level, for example, um, are not quite as linguistically advanced and culturally knowledgeable um, as my 500 level right. students, of course, are, um, most of whom have already been to Germany, either for a summer program or a semester at Heidelberg, uh, UK's partner university in Germany. Um, and what I do in 308 is that I build a course around a travel guide. I essentially create a tour um, through Germany based on a travel guide. I'm not going to advertise the name here, but there are plenty out there that you can use and order via a website, which I will not name. Um, but uh, it serves as sort of the jumping off point uh, for the students. And in fact, the reading here uh, is in English, simply so students get a sense of what is available in a given city, for example. But from then on, everything is in German. That means they have to go uh, to German websites. They have to explore, for example, the food culture of Berlin. But they have to do that via um, authentic websites. You, know, you can uh, go to the homepage of the city of Berlin, click on um, restaurants. Yeah, uh, You can do this via um, um, Yelp Berlin or you can do it uh, via other uh, food and travel guides. And um, the project here, as far, as far as the students are concerned, the semester project is that the students develop a travel guide uh, based on their own interests. So they take, for example, chocolate <laughs> and explore chocolate and the manufacturing of chocolate all over Germany. And believe me, I had one of the sweetest travel guides uh, <laughs> no that you could intended. ever imagine. The student had actually visited um, um, chocolate manufacturers um, like Sarotti in Cologne, like uh, Milka and so on. Uh, it was quite amazing. I can um, only imagine how engaged the students were when, you know, when you let them choose 
what that theme's going to be. They I think that's one of the key uh, keys um, both in the German 507 and the German 308 class that students have some way of bringing to class, bringing to the project their own interests. We all know that intrinsic motivation is uh, much more stronger than, mm -hmm. than extrinsic motivation. Uh, and once I get sort of that little hook into them, uh, whether it's chocolate, whether it is, of course, cars, uh, um, or any other topic one might imagine, um, then uh, we're already halfway uh, towards uh, the goal. Uh, then it becomes almost a, a self-runner. Wow. And have you talked about audio resources, specific things you do with those yet? Um, in 308, audio resources are uh, not as important as they are in 507, simply because oh. they pose more of a linguistic challenge mm -hmm. uh, for the students. But since you mention it now, this is clearly something that one uh, might as well uh, integrate into that course. Uh, Ruth has referred to, for example, YouTube videos. Yeah, So uh, a unit could be built around uh, young Berliners uh, exploring their city and presenting their city on YouTube. Um, of which there are, at least in Spain, lots of videos of that sort. There's actually a surprising number of Spaniards who do video blogs about travels in Argentina. Eh? I don't know, but there, there's a ton of video blogs out there for travelers. So the challenge here is really that uh, one uh, do not allow to fossilize uh, a course like that, but go with the flow of technology and mm -hmm. see, okay, what other media are coming online? Uh, you mentioned, Ruth, also Twitter. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, these are all things that one needs to carefully consider and, yeah. and, and, and judge as to whether they, in fact, further the stated um, pedagogical goal one has for a particular um, class. At the same time, I think one needs to ward against overloading the students. Uh, some resources are better suited to these these goals than others. Right. I've been, um, I think I follow on Twitter, and I'm new to Twitter, so it's, you know, I'm still stumbling through it, but I think it's Agence uh, Presse, and um, yesterday I was just flabbergasted. They were tweeting every move Clinton and um, Trump were making, and I guess there's one person with Hillary Clinton and one with, you know, Donald Trump. And I'm reading this and I'm like, this is so rich, all the things you could do. And they're digestible chunks. They're, these yes. small, they're by definition, yes. small pieces. And so that's a lot more manageable for students to, uh, to ferret out the meaning. It really made me miss. I was like, there's so much I could do with this this year. Mm -hmm. um, with, you know, and I'm thinking airport unit, travel mm -hmm. unit, politics, and it would have fit in so many different places. Perchance, and not to put you on the spot with this, do you have a go-to place, a place that's just so, you mentioned some at the beginning, but, um, you know, anything you want to share, another resource where you go to, and it's just got this wealth of, of uh, resources, whether it be German or any other language that you can think of? Not at the moment, okay. really. I'd be happy to share my own list of resources, of course, Please. if you contact me via mm -hmm. email. Um, a lot of this is course-specific. Um, okay. But of course, um, there are a number of German resources or resource sites out there. Um, but again, um, one has to be careful in terms of uh, what specific audience are they uh, directed at. Right. And um, I'd be happy to provide some references to those as well. Thank you. And we'll, we'll get your email uh, just in a minute so you can share that with listeners. Uh, one last question for the both of you. We know that culture is comprised of the four P's. So we have the products, practices, perspectives, and participation, which what you all were sharing, you've, you've 
definitely covered those in uh, the courses you teach. Which of the four P's do you feel is most critical? And it's a personal. There's no mm -hmm. right or wrong on this. Ruth, which one? I would go with participation. Why? Because I want my students to be able to leave my class and participate. So if I make them participate in class and break down their nerves, nerves about it and give them concrete tasks that they can accomplish and feel good about, then I feel like they're going to be more likely to take those chances when they're out in the community. And it could be here in Kentucky or it could be when they do study abroad. But that's how they're going to get better and master the language. So yeah, I'm okay. getting them so, involved. So one vote for participation. Mm -hmm. What do you think, Harold? For me personally, it's perception, no doubt, mm -hmm. um, because uh, I came to this country from a different country myself, mm -hmm. and um, it took me a number of years to come to terms with the way things okay. were done yeah. uh, in this country, and I'm still learning. I, I think this is a process that will go on um, for as long as an individual who engages with a different language and with a different culture um, does so. And uh, this is something I would like to develop in my students, that they engage with a different culture, that um, they uh, develop a point of view that is not limited uh, to the one that they grew up with uh, in their own country. Um, and without trying to be philosophical, um, in this day and age, I think this is one of the major challenges yes. that uh, we face. Yes. So again, perception for me is, is key. Jean Marie, which one do you like? Perspective. Why? <laughs> well, <clears throat> from my point of view, I mean, it, it kind of feeds off of uh, both of what both Ruth and Harald said. Um, it, perspective deals with the question of who you are as a human being and what your cultural assumptions are. And so you need to be able to cross that bridge, if you will, and look from inside the culture as best you can. And if you can get even a piece of that perspective and show what assumptions you're bringing to the table, you become a better global citizen. You then uh, are able to not make snap judgments that those type of people do strange things, but right. you know, this is my, my life is I study meaning, folklore and word meaning, and how our meaning systems can affect our viewpoint. And similarly, in terms of participation, if you have the perspective you need, you might see something that could throw you off at first, but instead of simply assuming this is a situation I do not understand, I will not participate you may be brave enough to say, all right, I might not know exactly why this is happening here, but I'm still going to go for it because I'm not going to learn otherwise. Great answers. I love them. Well, thank you, Ruth and Harold. It's been a pleasure talking with you both and hearing what you all are doing in your classroom with authentic resources and how you're integrating culture. If listeners have any questions or maybe want to get some of your uh, materials you use, if you're willing to share, how can they best contact you? Um, email my name Ruth dot Brown at UKYEDU. Thank you. Email H H O E B U at UKY.edu. Wonderful. Thank you both again. To wrap up our segment, it's time for a pedagogical corner. And as promised in August, our series highlighting the six core practices of world language teaching is ready to begin. Joining us by Skype is the past president of KWLA, Sarah Meredith. Hello, Sarah. How are you? I'm fine, Laura. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for joining us. Sarah, which core practice will you be sharing with us today and looking at more deeply? 
I thought today we would just go ahead and start with the one that I think teachers struggle with the most, even though they think they're hitting it, which is teaching in the target language 90% of the time or more. Wonderful. So what do you have to, to share with us or say about it? So one of the things that I think is great about this core practice is that it does encourage us to use the target language all the time in class. And the thing that teachers have the biggest problem with is understanding that it's not just teachers who need to be in the target language 90% of the time. It's also our students. The students should be aiming to hit that 90% goal. Now, if you happen to come to the roundtable discussion that we had at the KWLA conference this September, uh, that was led by Sarah Elizabeth Cottrell, and I helped facilitate it, all about hitting that target language. And we discussed how actually the number 90% is a completely arbitrary number that people at ACTFL came up with, and, and we all, all have adapted as the gospel truth when it comes to teaching in the target language. Um, while it's a very difficult task, it's also a, a very purposeful practice for us as teachers to be able to work with our language, challenging ourselves to become better at the language at the same time that we're asking our students to, to step up to that challenge as well. It's not just about repeating vocabulary. It's about the comprehensible input that our students are receiving from us, whether we're using a storytelling to teach that or we're going through a dialogue, but it's also the comprehensible output that the students are receiving themselves um, and, and, and performing on their own. Even if we don't understand every single word they say, it's not grammatically correct, the sheer fact that they are putting out in the target language is more important than whether or not they are grammatically accurate 100% of the time. That's a really good point you made, especially when you're at level one and two and you're visiting that novice land, that grammatical accuracy just isn't, doesn't need to be the focus at the novice level. So really nice point. Right. Research, research shows that the grammatical focus doesn't come in until uh, the end of level three, even level four, simply because they're not prepared yet to have those discussions about the grammar and worry about the accuracy, but at the higher levels, when you're using the higher level of thinking and the higher of, of thinking, then they need to know that the, the differences between the definitions of a word depending on the context that the word's being used in. That's not something they need to muddle up their conversation with in the level one and level two areas. That's a great point, Sarah. We really appreciate that. And thank you for taking the time to go a little deeper with us with one of our core practices. And we look forward to hearing from you again. Great. Thanks so much, Laura. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye. This wraps up our podcast on authentic resources. I wish to thank our guests, Ruth Brown and Harold Hobush, for joining us and my co-host, Jean-Marie Rudier-Willoughby. Also, special thanks to the University of Kentucky for providing the location and support for producing our podcast series. This is Laura Roche Youngworth for Language Talk KWLA, wishing you a happy fall season and keep up the great teaching.